0: This is Baldy's Breakdowns, the podcast with NFL insiders Brian Baldinger and Jason Lockenfora and Odyssey Sports Original.
1: Welcome to the Week 17 edition of Baldy's Breakdowns. We come to you as always, courtesy of our friends at Odyssey. I am Jason Lockenfora at Jason Lockenfora on Twitter. And I have the pleasure and honor, as always, to be joined by my buddy Brian Baldinger at Baldy NFL to take you through our weekly football journey. And th- this will be uh, a little bit of a of a different uh, episode for us than normal. We are recording the day after John Madden had passed, uh, a true legend, icon, a transcendent figure in the game of sports, and I'm oh, sorry, in the in the in the sport of football, and really in all of professional sports uh with what he did to grow the sport that he loved so near and dear and and what he did to bring so many people from all walks of life to the football table to share those conversations with him as he broadcast games each week and and crisscross this country in the madden cruiser um so baldy and i are certainly going to uh To begin our weekly football journey there, we'll be talking about the Bengals and the Chiefs coming off of their huge wins and now facing each other with so much on the line. What did Baldy take away from the Bills and the Pats last week? The Dolphins and the Titans, they meet with so much on the line. What's in store for them? Um, We've got a Minnesota-Green Bay rematch. That certainly uh, is do or die for the Vikings, the Cardinals, and the Cowboys is is Arizona uh, falling apart. And we'll also touch on the Colts and Raiders, a game that Baldy will be calling this week. But uh, Baldy, you, you uh, are hmm. part of the Fox broadcast family for a long time. You are someone who who played the game at a time when John Madden was sort of becoming the singular uh, most trusted, most coveted voice in all of broadcasting and and then you you got to be a colleague of his after your playing career can you even put into words um how much this man had to do with the growth of this game getting to where it is today
0: well uh you know I was bubbling with emotion yesterday <clears throat> you know when I when I got the message that he had passed uh, anybody that worked with John it's there's a fraternity and, um, you know, we literally, you know, in this social media world, I mean, we, we, we traded stories with, about the guy. Everybody has them. Um, and you know, my, my first experience was, you know, I, I started off my career, Jason in Dallas playing for the Cowboys, yep. Yep. 1982, um, every big game we played John Madden and Pat all broadcasted it. And so it'd be a Friday afternoon before there was the star and Frisco and before there was Valley ranch, it was this little old dump of a facility in Dallas on Forest Lane. And I literally had an apartment right next door. I lived at the facility uh, back then. And, you know, you're getting ready to play Dallas and the Giants, Dallas and Washington, um, Dallas and Philadelphia, John and Pat, they were at your practice on Friday. Uh, They were talking to Randy White or Tony Dorsett or Tom Landry, whatever. And so that was your first experience. And then um, I went and played. You know, I played in India and then I played in Philadelphia. I was playing a playoff game in Philadelphia. This is how the impact was, Jason. I was playing a playoff game for the Eagles. We were playing the Saints in a wild card weekend, and I was having a pretty good game at left guard. And out of nowhere, John Madden just kind of like he would do, just kind of picked me out of the lineup and just started talking about you know that. That Baldinger guy, you know, he's having a heck of a game. Let's watch him down there. You know, he's blocking Pat Swilling. And, you know, look at, you know, he's Sherman going right behind Baldinger. You know, and there was my mom and dad sitting on their couch watching a playoff game. And I I never had that experience before. Never had somebody just talk about, you know, and he just picked the right spot of the game the way he notoriously was able to do. And it's a soundbite now of about a minute of John. And then at the end, you know, Pat just puts a button on it and says, you know, I think every team's got a ball dinger on it. And at that time, there was three of us all playing. Yeah, You know, it was just one of those things in our little family. And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, my mom still talks about it, you know. And it was just one of those things. He could do that to Nate Newton or, or Bill Bates. He could find anybody. And he could just, in the course of a game without ever missing a beat, just talk about it. I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, there's a million stories. But I remember one time, uh, Jason, I, I had done an early game. Uh-huh. uh for fox and and i was back at the hotel and i've got the late game on and john and pat are doing a game and it's halloween and john without missing any plays or without talking over the game he starts talking about trick-or-treating <laughs> and he goes you know what i really hate pat i hate when people give apples for trick you know for trick-or-treaters like apples should not be given and he said, he's going in about trick-or-treating and like the things that you should give and the things that you shouldn't give, <laughs> you know, and you, you, you the reaction is exactly what you're doing. Yeah. You're, you're laughing. You're going, yeah. this is brilliant. Like you're right. Why does somebody give apples on Thanks on, on Halloween? And this, this was every week. This was every week, every game. There was just be John Madden just talking about whatever, you know, whatever it, whatever was just on his mind sure. and how he fit it in the course of a game without ever taking away from the game. Because to John, the game was everything. Yeah, It was about – and that's why he was so important to the Hall of Fame, to the Hall of Fame committee. That's why he was on the commissioner, whoever it was, whether it was Taglabou, Goodell, whoever, about making sure that we preserve the game. Yes. It was about player safety. Let's yes. make sure that we all can you know, play this game at a young level. and and maybe have a chance to play at at, at the pro level, there wasn't any part of the game where he didn't touch and he wasn't a part of it. And so when I put a little tweet out yesterday, I said, you simply can't write the history of pro football, of sports television, of Fox Sports, of the video game craze without talking about John Madden. Like, he's a part of all of it. And it was funny when – when he left CBS to go to, to start Fox, I mean, the first yep. guys that, you know, David Hill signed was John Madden and Pat Summerall from CBS. And it was funny, like John said, you know, we're not really Fox Sports, we're just Fox Sport. Like, we only have a sport, <laughs> one sport. <laughs> you know, it was just like, just that, those things that he just saw and said were just different than everybody else. Well,
1: and, and Baldy, I, I think a lot of people don't shine enough of a light on the coaching career as well. This is a guy who takes over an iconic franchise in his early 30s, which was not the norm back then, right? He did it and Shula did it, but not many people did it. <coughs> Excuse me, he coaches 10 years. He went 76% of his games. I had somebody the other day say, do you think he could have come back in another era <coughs> and and done it again? I said, absolutely. Could you imagine yeah. if he left the booth in the 90s? Baldy, who at the start of plan B free agency. And as the league starts expanding its labor force and, and, and the ability to get players who wouldn't, if he came out of the booth in 1990, whatever, who wouldn't have wanted to go play for him? Like he could have had a oh, yeah. second tour, another yeah. 10 years, won another 150 games if he wanted to.
0: Well, you know, but he, you know, he, he was just so on record saying the only team he would ever coach was yeah. the Raiders, yep. you know, and um, you know, his connection to Al Davis, you know, and John, you know, one of the reasons why John was such a great communicator was he was, you know, a lot of these guys that are in coaching, it's not a knock, but it's just, you know, all they've ever done is coach. I mean, I always say that these coaches in the NFL, they're nothing but gym teachers. They just, you know, they just took it to the football field and they stayed with it. But John, John taught, you know, he was a teacher. Yes. Uh, before, You know, and he, he taught ballroom dancing of all things. He taught a lot of things. And so he had just had so much more experience and his ability to communicate was just so much better. I remember one time I was watching a game. I couldn't hear it, but they had the closed caption on. So I was just reading what John was saying. And he was barely finishing his sentences, but you knew exactly what he was saying. Like his the, the his ability to communicate anything was just was just legendary, you know. And so all that but we you know when when, when I went to Fox, you know John and Pat were at Fox and and uh, we always kicked off the football season in August every year. With a big, you know, like a lot of networks, a football yep. seminar. Yep. And it was my real first meeting with John, and he was a very intimidating guy. Like you, he made. It's one of the reasons why I take the approach to football that I take is because if you had a conversation with John, you better be thorough uh-huh. and you better know what you're talking about. He's going to call you out and make you feel bad and look bad and make you want to go back and do more research. And he was just like that. Like, he just knew the game so well that if you wanted to talk about who's the best left tackle in football, you better have watched all your games right? and all your tape. Because if you mention a guy that he didn't think was very good, he's going to have his – it's going to be right on the tip of his tongue. He, he's not going to miss it. And so he, everybody that worked for him at Fox, in that room, in those seminars, I mean, the commissioner would get up there and speak and evidently, you know, Without fail, John would just have some comment at the back of the room. <laughs> like and it wasn't always a nice comment. Yeah. It was like you guys want to grow the game of football. How about if we just give some of these teams that can't afford football? How about if we just pro- provide them footballs? How about if we just start there? You know, officiating. Like, you know, it the immaculate reception by Franco Harris of yeah, Pittsburgh, yeah. that ate at him. Hank Stram beating them in the playoffs ate at him. Like it never left him. Yeah. Never. And so when he finally broke through and won, and he talked about it, you know, when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame at Canton, it was, you know, the the greatest day of his life outside of his kids being born. And that's true. But like anybody that worked with him, rode on the bus with him, and they're all at Fox right now, or some of them are still at CBS. Like, they'll tell you, they'll tell you what it was like, what those bus rides were like, you know, what you could be eating barbecue in Mississippi on going from Dallas to, you know, to Atlanta, whatever it might've been and his connection to those people out there and some of those yeah. shacks and some of those people cooking barbecue, whatever, that he just made him feel like they were the most important people on earth, you know, never well, sent us, yes. ne- ne- never sent a skinny guy out for food. You're going to come back <laughs> with bad food. Like they, they don't know what food is about. You know I mean? Just, there's a million things that kind of pop into your mind, you know, about John's effect on everything associated with this game. And I I can't – I still hear his voice in my head when I'm putting something together and, you know, you're in your 11th hour and you just want to get it done. Yeah. And you're like, no, John would want this thing to be pretty thorough, man. You better go back and check that again.
1: Well, and, and one final thing, Baldy. I think he also was so transcendent in sort of taking his sport and into pop culture and the oh. Miller light ads and tough act. to and boom. And the video game, like he was a marketing and branding natural genius before we even really knew what those terms were, or certainly before those terms were mainstreamed hmm. the way they are now. And he did it through pure authenticity by being the least fake thing out there. While a lot yeah. of people kind of try to become something they're not in order to attain those types of goals, right? Uh,
0: oh, there's no doubt. I remember um, this is so vivid. You know, I mean you know these stories just tumble out of you once you start talking about it. but I remember his son was telling, you know, John, you know, that somebody scored 56 points on his video game. And he goes, Somebody's 56. Like is anybody playing any defense in this thing? Like like let's let's fix this. You can't score 56 points in my game. You know, and like he got on you know, the the, the people that did the, uh, you know, the algorithms at EA Sports and like he, like he, it it bugged him that somebody could score 56 points in a video game on his game. Like, 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 stop, like that. Don't allow that to happen. You know, I mean, it just, oh, there wasn't, there wasn't anything that, that got through him or, or passed him by. And then, and then in 2002, after he had moved on, to Monday Night Football with Al, you know, Pat had retired. And then he decided that because, you know, I mean, John was his partner for so long, 20 years, that he wanted to come back and, and do another year. So they put me with Pat Summerall in 2002. And so we were a team along with his production team of Bob Center and Sandy Grossman, and we did games for that year. And we literally, Friday nights, were spent talking about John. Yeah. You know, and what, you know, if we were in Green Bay, you know, John wanted to go eat chili where Vince Lombardi ate chili. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you just felt like you saw a whole nother side and a whole nother storytelling session about John, you know, and what he was like and what they did together on the road and how they made it fun. And, you know, all, you know, just the the stories just went on and on and on. And nobody was a better storyteller about John than. Then Pat Summerall. And I'll just leave you with this. I went to Pat Summerall's funeral and John Madden gave the eulogy at the funeral. And he was sitting in the front row and you could tell that he was he was nervous, you know? And he got up and, you know, he was moving quite slowly. And we were all kind of wondering if he was going to really be able to make it to the podium under his own willpower, you know, and his own strength. And we, you know, we were kind of thinking like, wow, John, John's slowing down. And then he got up there. And he adjusted the mic. And then he gave this eulogy. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. And, you know, he took you like what you would want all eulogies to be. He took you on this magic carpet ride that had you laughing, had you crying. And he was just John Madden. Like, it was no, no script. He, he just d- gave this eulogy that I'll never forget. And it was just classic John. The, the mic was on, and he started talking, and he just made you listen. And that's what he did every Sunday, you know, as the, you know, the voice of the NFL that nobody will ever be able to duplicate. No, it's incredibly well said Baldy. And I think um, maybe the
1: greatest ambassador for this game that ever lived and that frankly ever, ever will live. And uh, we, we send all of our best to his family and to all those like you Baldy who got to work with him um, and, and know him Well, he would want to focus on these games, would he not? Yeah. Baldy, the playoffs absolutely. around the corner. Yeah. Uh seating on at stake, jobs on the line. Yeah. Uh in, in the AFC, we saw a couple of teams make real statements last week in, in terms of just uh blowing out an opponent and and uh really having their way with them. The Bengals absolutely shredded the Ravens, put up almost six hundred yards on them and the chiefs were up 30 to nothing on Pittsburgh and anything that happened after that doesn't really matter. Cause yeah. that game was over in the second quarter. Uh, just wondering sort of some of your takeaways from those two games and then how the Bengals and chiefs you think match up given that, uh, that they, they now get each other this week.
0: Well, you know, I mean, Kansas city's on this un- unbelievable role right now and, I think it's eight in a row right now, Jason. Yeah, and you know, in, in you know, everybody will put up a graphic of you know Pat Pat Mahomes' interceptions and in an eight no run versus what happened when they were three and four. And, and you know, I understand all that stuff, but he's still you know, if Pittsburgh could catch, they would have had a couple. Yeah, you know, they yeah. you know they yep. they. So the 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 point is is Pat Pat Mahomes isn't playing the game any differently. He played without. Travis Kelsey the other day. So Byron Pringle catches a lot of balls and, you know, but he's playing the game the same way. One thing that's happened is that young offensive line with Creed Humphrey, you know, and Trey Smith, two rookies, uh-huh. the center and the right guard, like they're getting g- really good and they've been good, but they're, you know, they're really playing well together up front. And so it's, it's rare, but like Patrick Mahomes didn't run once against Pittsburgh. And he didn't really need to, but you know, he's, he's playing the game the same way, but defensively, I know people think, like, it's just smoke and mirrors. They're a really good defense. They defended uh, really well. Jarius Sneed and Charverius they're Ward, Michael Hughes, they're excellent corners. They they play great man coverage. And if you give Steve Spagnola um, corners that can really hold up in coverage, he, he's going to get to the quarterback and affect the quarterback. He did that to Ben. and You know, it made Ben just look awful the other day, and Pittsburgh awful, but You know, the one thing about this game in Cincinnati is, you know, Cincinnati's got three great receivers. We all know their name. We all know Jamar and, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. I think Kansas City can match up with those. And so then you go, okay, can Joe Burrow hang in there long enough to wait for these guys to uncover, to win, how often they win? It's not going to look like it did against Baltimore last week. So I have a feeling that, you know, Kansas City can keep the score down and then can Kansas, you know, can Cincinnati's defense kind of withstand what Patrick Mahomes has been doing to the rest of the league over the last two months. And so I think it's going to be a a close game, a lower scoring game than what a lot of people might think it should be.
1: When the Bengals and Ravens played last year in Week 17, the Ravens ran the ball for 400 yards. It was an emasculation. We had Wink Martindale running his mouth a week or so ago about Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers and, hey, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they aren't that uh, Lamar Jackson makes the pro ball over Joe Burrow Baldy mm. that game is out of hand they're up 20 some points late in the third quarter and Cincinnati drops back to pass 13 straight yeah. times and they throw a bomb to Joe Mixon in garbage time for 52 yards it looked personal to me do you think it was personal
0: yes yeah and Joe Burrow without saying it was personal said it was personal after the game it was brought up what wink had to say that you know let's not put him in let's not enshrine him yet uh-huh uh, all those kind of things. I mean, he he talked around it, but he was addressing it. They heard it, and you know, people will say, "Oh, I locker room material." Well, we did the Cincinnati Bengals, and you've been the doormat for so long, you know, and you hadn't beaten the Ravens twice in a season in five years, you know, and you've been the doormat. Like all this stuff matters. All this stuff counts. They're going to win this division, yeah. Uh, whether they beat Kansas City or not, I think they're going to win the division. Um, I thought that they would win the division back in August. Like this team, like they still have to go do it, Jason. You know, sure, they haven't sure. done anything yet. But what they did to Baltimore, sent a clear message. I know Baltimore didn't travel with a starting quarterback. I right. mean, I, all that stuff is true. And I don't know how many guys, you know, were in COVID or an injury reserve or whatever, all that stuff. But they they made a statement. You know, they, they scored 82 points against the Ravens this year. Uh, we'll see how – the Ravens adjust or address their offseason to make sure nothing like this ever happens again.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll see whether that inv- entails personnel changes uh, to the coaching staff as well. I, I tend to think at least some assistants on defense won't be back. They're 32nd in the league in a lot of pass defense categories. Speaking of personal at all, Jason,
0: I mean, oh, I, yeah, can, no. you would say, okay, all right, you know, coverage and, you know, T. Higgins out jumping two guys for a ball. Okay, that, that's going to happen. The tackling was atrocious. Yeah. Just atrocious. And that's not a that you know, when they say play like a raven, right, you know, Ed Reed and Ray, you know, Ray Lewis, those guys, they're watching. Like Tony Siragusa. Play like a raven means something. And so that's that's the part yeah. that I think yeah. probably really ate at Wink and Harbaugh, you know, and some of the other guys in that organization. Well, speaking of statements and little brother and big brother, the Bills have
1: been the little brother to the Patriots for a long time. The pendulum swung last year uh, in Buffalo's favor while the Patriots were rebuilding, but lo and behold, a few weeks back they met and new England overpowered them without having to throw the football. The rematch went a little differently. Baldy, how big of a win is that for the Buffalo Bills psyche and confidence heading into the stretch run and on the flip side, Couple of weeks in a row now, where Mac Jones has looked more like a rookie than a veteran. What's your
0: level of concern about that? Uh, well, I think first of all, Josh Allen was amazing. Yeah, um, on Sunday, uh, you know the, his ability. I mean, I know he's the leading rusher in the game, and you know for for the Buffalo. Although they tried to run the ball a little bit with Motor Singletary, um, they played well up front uh, without Gabriel Davis, without Cole Beasley. You know Isaiah McKenzie steps up. You know just the way you want for any team that's uh, hamstrung because of injuries or COVID or whatever. You know whatever the situation is. Can can your guys step? Isaiah McKenzie was you're going to go double Stephon Diggs. Okay, then here's McKenzie and he's a really good player. Nobody probably knew it until we watched it. But then, you know, the one thing about that game that I thought Sean McDermott was really good. They stayed aggressive from the opening drive. Fourth downs, fourth and two, fourth and one. They 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 kept the they pedal down and they attack and then they just put the ball in Josh Allen's hands, you know, fourth to one bootleg rollout Patriots are waiting for it. You know, he just is a better runner than they were tacklers. Yeah. Um, You know, just getting on the perimeter where he really puts your defense in a bind. Like they put the ball in his hands and he delivered. He didn't make a mistake in the game. He wasn't fooled by anything. It uh, was really patient. Uh, Josh Allen was a difference in that game. And so, that's a, that's a sign of, of really good things. They've won two in a row right now. Um, you know, it's Carolina, New England. You know, they have a chance right here to finish with 11 wins, win the division, <clears throat> get a home playoff game. Like they could turn this thing around, uh-huh. and, and they're in the process of doing it. Um, Gregory Rousseau had a really good game. You want to see a rookie first round pick, you know, hit the quarterback. But I am concerned about Mac Jones. He, he looks limited to me right now. Yeah. And. Uh, all of a sudden the arm looks more like a, I don't want to say it's a pop gun arm, but it, you know, you're going to get these elements in December and January yes, in sir. where they're at and where they might have to go to play. And I don't know uh, if he's made for the conditions that you're going to be in at this time of the year, playoff football and it shows up. And so, you know, he's turning the ball over now. Uh, quite a bit that he wasn't doing when they were winning a lot of games. And so it's a concern. It's a real concern because they need him to play well. They can't just rely on a running game. There's teams too good at this point of the season to be able to shut that down.
1: Yeah. We, you know, look, they have the Jags this week. We probably won't really know um, about Mac Jones on the big, big stage again, until the playoffs come. But certainly uh, yes. Reason, reason for concern. In a crazy season, Baldy, that's been helter skelter and up and down. Yeah, no team has been more e- emblematic of that than the Miami Dolphins, who, you know, in October looked left for dead as they were mired in a brutal losing streak, including a loss to the Jags in London. Uh but they beat Baltimore on a Thursday night. They started blitzing more. They started getting more of their young, um, mm-hmm. athletic yeah. pass rushers on the field. Kind of went. Um, to a team that was blitzing from the slot, a little more nickel stuff. The defense has been tearing people's faces off since then. They haven't lost since then, and they now, as it stands right now as we record this, are the seventh seed in the AFC. Now, you could, Baldy, go look at the run of quarterbacks they faced since Lamar True. Jackson and say, yeah. how many of these guys are really professional grade? Where are you on the
0: Dolphins as they head into a huge game with the Titans. Well, I'm very high on the dolphins. Now I understand. Look, Ian book, uh, Ian book looked awful. That, that he was like not a NFL football. Had, he, he looked like a rookie that had three days of practice, you know, and you know, they had him in bubble wrap for the season. I mean, he was a practice squad player. Um, but I, I think a lot of quarterbacks would have looked bad. Now they might not have been 0 for 12 on third downs, uh, the way the saints were, but, a lot of quarterbacks would have looked bad and have looked bad. And to your point, look, they don't have a team. The only team that they've played in the seven stretch, seven game stretch that they've won with a winning record was the Ravens. And they took the Ravens apart um, that night on Thursday night, but they still are doing it. And they've got a third down package right now, Jason. You can't look at the league wide stats. Just look at the stats over the last seven weeks. Teams are converting less than 30% on third downs against them. And they have a blitz zero look, but they gave, which is difficult because they got guys that can cover and they can run. Now, part of this is seven game stretches. Jalen Phillips is on the field. You know, uh, Javon Holland is yep. as good a young free safety as there is in football. He's on the field. He's directing a lot of traffic. Um, Brian Flores has this look right now where you don't know who's coming, how many are coming, who's dropping, and they really keep you guessing until the snap. But they they came off the slot. They did so. They they rushed three. They came off the slot. They overloaded the side. They broke down the Saints protection. It was a lot more than just Ian Book back there, And so they give you a lot and they do a lot and they are excellent on the back end. They're not giving up plays on the back end. And that's the thing. It reminds me in some ways of what Rex Ryan did with the Jets mm. and they were a limited offense, but uh-huh. defensively when you have Cromartie and Revis, they were able to do so many things and they have that with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Um, this is a different test this week with Tennessee. Tennessee has an excellent front. Um, they, they're winning games with their front, uh, yes. and they've gotten really good defensively. I don't know how Jeffrey Simmons isn't in the Pro Bowl. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's just one of those snubs where you just go, anybody watching? <laughs> you know, this guy dominate week in, week out. They're they're really good. Def- this is going to be a great game, a great anal- game to analyze because defensively both teams are, are very, very good. But what we saw last Thursday night, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, was we saw AJ Brown step on the field and in the second half just dominate the uh-huh. San Francisco 49ers. And so, you know, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, they're gonna see a legitimate number one receiver out there with a quarterback that you know knows how to play in Ryan Tannehill. So uh, this this game is is a playoff game. It's a playoff game for the Dolphins. Um I think Tennessee is fine for the playoffs, but this is going to be played at a playoff intensity. And so it's going to be one of the real premier matchups this week. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to look at. Because defensively, Vrabel runs his different than than Flores. They both know each other very, very well. Um, and so it's really how do you handle the defensive pressures that you're going to get in different ways? And, you know, can two of the way they like to dink and dunk Uh down the field they just don't they can't hold the ball long enough to really do much and I don't think that against this front with Danico Autry and Simmons and Landry and and Dupree that they're going to have much time and they're going to have to do the RPO game and you know get the ball to waddle any way that they can like they did last week on the one touchdown Um, you know so it's it's going to be probably somewhat limited offense but a lot of fun defense to watch.
1: Yeah, well, and, and Tua certainly seems to understand the limitations of that offensive line, Baldy. He's getting the ball out. I think only Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger in the entire league are getting the ball out faster than him, uh, and, and his offensive line will certainly have their hands full. Um, yeah, it'll be fascinating. I mean, if Miami can find a way to win this game and keep that thing going, uh, it'll be one of the more. Well, improbable. you know,
0: it, the one thing about it, Jason, I, uh, is, you know, you you, you can beat, beat up the Saints with, you know, all of the restrictions that they had and everything you go up against. But if you beat a good team, yeah. That you know, going into you know, January football, you beat a team that's in first place in their division. Um, it 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 not only does your confidence soar, you you feel pretty invincible that you could beat anybody and play anybody. And that that would be the message after the game by by Brian Flores to the team. And so not all victories are the same. Everybody says they're all they're all difficult. Oh, it's true. But some games just carry more weight. And that's one of these games this weekend.
1: Well, Baldi, we will switch over to the NFC in a minute, but uh you will be broadcasting Colts. Raiders, um, the Raiders are still are still viable. They're they're still hanging around despite all the twists and turns of their season, found a way to outlast the Broncos. Mm-hmm. Uh, A week ago, although if Teddy Bridgewater plays that game, I think maybe Denver wins. But alas, uh, the Colts go into Arizona uh, over the weekend and find out right before the game. We've only got one starting offensive lineman and oh, we don't have Darius Leonard and a couple other key guys on defense. And they just do their thing and outclass the Cardinals. Um, Interesting matchup here. Carson Wentz could be back off the COVID list in time for this game as we're recording it. He is on the list under new protocols, which, again, have quicker return-to-play uh, components to him. What intrigues you about this one?
0: Well, if you go back to that you know, Christmas night game in Arizona and what the Colts did with minus Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson, and you watch Matt Pryor step in at guard, or you watch EJ Speed step in for Darius Leonard and start his second game in his whole life and lead the team in tackles, it, yeah. it, it just registers that some teams are just have better depth and are better coached than other teams. And so, you know, the league's leading rushers still can run for 100 yards. Defensively, they can shut down Arizona with, you know, a backup middle linebacker that is their all-world player in Darius Leonard. And you go, this is who the Colts are. They're just a very well-coached team. I know Matt Pryor really well. I mean, there's, you know, to see him go out there and play like he did, like he's an improved player from when he was in Philadelphia. And so you just go, you know, coaching is still a difference in this league. Yes. They're still a very well-coached football team. That, that's what stands out to me, um, you know, about the Colts right now. And that was a great statement to beat a good team on the road, on a short week, on a holiday night, all that stuff, Yep. Um, you know, as they start rolling here. And, you know, the, look, the Raiders came to town. I was texting with uh, Max Crosby this week. Um, they know what's at stake. Here's the thing about the Raiders. They're, they're not a great team. They're right where they probably should be. They, yep, they look yep. like a 500 team. They have real limitations, but they have a very good defensive line. Yes, And do. when they play fast and don't stay blocked with Max Crosby and Quentin Nelson and, you know, Big Hank and Yannick Ngakwe and, and that group, when they play really fast, they're pretty good defense. They they can affect the quarterback like they did Drew Locke last week. Now you're right. I mean Teddy Bridgewater might be different, but they they did a good job up front. And that to me, they've got to play great. Like, I don't know how many yards Jonathan Taylor gets. It, I don't know that anybody can just stop him right. and keep him like at 60 yards. I, I I just I don't know that anybody could do it because um, in any given play he could go get 60. So you give him 25 cracks at it. Chances are he's going to get He'll one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if anybody could keep him at 60. Uh, everybody will tell you, well, he gets 100 yards, they win. Well, that's not always true. But, you know, they're, they're going to have their work cut out for them. And I, to me, it starts up front. You know, Derek Carr can't turn the ball over, all those kind of basic things. Uh, but, you know, if if the Raiders go in there and win, like they're just one of those teams you just go, you know, in this league, in this year, these things can – a team yep. that's not really great and they can have some real stinkers and clunkers along the way, they could get to the postseason, who knows.
1: Yeah, no, it's it. It's all there for the taking for almost everybody in the AFC. Uh, the Vikings and Packers, the last time they met, probably the high point of Minnesota season, Baldy, at yep. a point in time where we thought maybe things were turning for them. Not no so doubt. much. They still can't get out of their own way. Green Bay's winning games, but they're not passing my eye test the last couple of weeks, Baldy, the way they were, say, in November and early December. I worry about them defensively. I worry about them as an older team. They kind of look like uh, by the fourth quarter. Sometimes I am wondering if they're they're out of steam. Um, a win's a win, and and hey, if they get the one seed and it all goes through Lambo, they've got as good a shot as anybody. But they do seem to me to be a little bit on life support. And you know, Bakhtiari and and Zadarius and Jair and whoever else, if anybody else can come back, I kind of feel like they need that injection right bleeping now.
0: Well, the quarterback doesn't make mistakes, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, he's just not turned the ball over at all. And so they got that going for him. It's at Green Bay. But if you go back and you watch that Week 11 game, November 21st, and I went back and watched it, Justin Jefferson is the Vikings' best player. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey was on him some last week, but not all the time. They they didn't play well last week. They didn't stop the run. Sony Michel, um Henderson they ran the ball right yeah. down their throats and that had to really bother Mike Zimmer And I talked to Mike before the game on the sidelines you know he was this, you know he was he was his blunt nervous self uh. and talking to me but he said you know Baldy we lead the league in sacks but we, we don't have anybody that can rush the passer and that showed up last week um that you know Matt Stafford didn't play great at all you know with the three interceptions yeah but they, they you know if you can't pressure Aaron Rodgers um, you know, good luck, because I, I don't care what you do on the back end. He's going to pick you apart. He's going to hold the ball long enough to find somebody to break open, and that's what happened. But the one thing I'd say is, and the thing that ups, kind of disappointed me, was they really waited way too long to start going to Justin Jefferson last week. They waited to the third quarter. He was basically invisible in the first half. And I went back and watched Week 11. Like, from the opening drive, uh-huh. they just attacked with Justin Jefferson, and they never stopped. He had a 43 yard catch in the opening drive. He had a 56 yard, you know, catch in the next drive, and they just they just kept going to him, you know. And then you know, Thielen had his big catches, you know, and they had an answer when Green Bay blitzed. And I know there's no Dalvin Cook, but Alexander Madison's a quality yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not the end of the world to me. Justin Jefferson's the key. Like they've got to take shots repeatedly because this guy is just just that good, and if they get him involved and they stay with him and he, you know, at the end of the day, he's got nine catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns. The Vikings have a chance, but if they don't, and they play like they did last week where they were just kind of dinking and dunking and let's get it to Tyler Conklin for four yards. And if they do that, then this might get real ugly.
1: Yeah. Um, the Vikings are a hard team to figure. That's for sure. Uh, final game of the week here for us to hit on. Seems to me, Baldy, to be two teams heading in opposite directions. The Cardinals and the Cowboys. Um, both teams have struggled with sort of an offensive identity at times this year. Uh, both teams have been carried by their defense at times this year. Except for Arizona, most of that stuff happened in the first seven weeks of the season. They're three and five in their last eight they're having issues on both sides of the ball. I talked about maybe the cavalry coming back for the Packers in terms of injured players. We've seen that happen for the Cowboys late in the season, and it give them a real shot in the arm. How do you size
0: this one up? Well, I was watching – you know, I, I, I watch Micah Parsons every week. You know, I just have to watch him because he just – every week I, I see him do something different that just looks difficult for everybody else, but it's not for him. They have so many playmakers on defense. I mean, you see Stephon Diggs on the first play of the game last week. He runs the route better than you know Terry McLaurin runs it. Um, Randy Gregory, Tank Lawrence, they're they're Kian O'Neill. Like they've just got playmakers on that side of the ball. And when they play fast, and they're disguising coverages, and they're coming after the quarterback in in a lot of different ways with some really great pass rushers. I mean, they're a very difficult. To, to really attack consistently. You might get a play here and a play there. You might put a drive together. But they're they're going to be difficult on that side of the ball. But when Dak plays like he did on Sunday, and I know it's a depleted Washington yeah. team. You know, I mean, 42-7 to, two to seven in the second quarter, Jason. I mean, it's hard to even make an evaluation not, not right. at this point. Um, but they have everything it takes to be a, a great team in the postseason. Um, I think they should, you know – beat Arizona. They look like a much better team than Arizona right now to me. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray doesn't look special to me at all no. at this point. Um, maybe thrown to Antoine Wesley versus DeAndre Hopkins does that to the eyes watching them, but they just don't look special. And when they were special, you know, like when they beat the Rams the first time yeah. this year, yeah. they ran the ball for 250 yards and they look special. They look like they could do whatever they wanted to do. They don't look like that right now to me. And this is a, bad three game losing streak um they can't win at home uh you know that that you know which is really bizarre because it's yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a good place to play it's uh-huh. loud and uh it's a good stadium and all but there's they 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 can't win a game at home right now and that's that's discouraging yeah
1: maybe they can uh shed their skin and rekindle something from earlier in the season but i i have major questions about the Arizona Cardinals viability in uh the postseason to go toe-to-toe with the best of the best week in, week out. They don't I don't I don't I don't see it in their eyes or their body language or their production right now, Baldy. But if they could win this game, it certainly would be a, a, a big statement. Well we we thank you guys as always for joining us here on Baldy's breakdowns as we get closer and closer to the postseason. It's just around the corner. Um as always please give us feedback rate review us on iTunes Spotify. Um, wherever you get your uh, your podcast goodness. And we wish everyone out there a very happy new year. We hope everyone yeah. is safe and, and has fun and enjoys uh, their football, Baldy. And as always, safe travels to you, my friend. And uh, likewise, Jason.
0: Yep. Happy yeah. New Year to you and the family. And I, I feel the same way, man. Let's just be safe and, you know, let's throw cars. Let's, you know, be cautious the way we got to be cautious right now. It's, Kind of a scary time out there.
1: Yeah, it is. And hopefully the league is coming through this COVID crisis a little bit better. We'll see how these new protocols work. And and hopefully we'll have things a little closer to, to normal for the playoffs. And certainly we'll know more about the playoffs uh, this time next week. Although, Baldy, I got a feeling a lot of this is going to be decided at the very last <laughs> second in some of these uh, specific games. Yeah, oh, it's coming down to wire, Jason. Yeah, it's going it's down, down, down to the very to the final
0: drive. You know, who has the ball last? It's it's coming down to, you know, week 18 for sure uh, to settle, you know, some of the final playoff positions. We know very little at this point. Yep, yep, it's it's all out there. And uh, again, we thank you
1: guys for listening and we will talk to you next week on Baldy's Breakdowns.